Hello there, he starts Connect, your moment of updating and analyzing Brazilian and worldwide maritime and port infrastructure issues. Each episode will bring specialists on the services, products, and innovations that propel the industry and develop countries and people. After all, transportation, energy, and logistics. Can you imagine a world without them? Neither can we. I am Eduardo Valença, Digital Transformation uh, Director at Wilson Sons, and I invite you to join us in this roundtable that connects professionals, the industry, and technology. Hello, guys. My name is Eliso Dorado. I'm the Toad Commercial Director for Wilson Sons. And in today's episode, we will talk about sustainability in the maritime industry, an industry that today moves more than 80% of the cargo in the world trade. And of course, it comes as a cost, including environmental ones. Companies around the world have been investing in decarbonization initiatives, and we see maritime stakeholders make commitments to close the gap to net zero emissions as they work to protect the environment and meet the sustainability development goals set by United Nations for 2030 and all other global pact as well. To talk about this subject, we welcome Rodrigo Vermelho, Shipping Technical Manager of Vale, one of the largest global mining companies in the world, present in more than 20 countries, and Eduardo Rodriguez, Senior Consulting at GNV, a leading maritime classification society and a trust advisor, helping industry stakeholders shine the decarbonization pathway, while advancing the safety and sustainability of the business. Hi guys, welcome. You each have more than a decade of experience in the maritime industry. Eduardo has worked in DNV for over 30, 14 years, having been several areas of the business. Rodrigo has been with Vale for more than a decade. And surely you have seen the maritime industry facing numerous challenges throughout your careers. Though decarbonization for nowadays is uh, trending, I mean, it's an agenda, it's a commitment that we have to, with the society, with the stakeholders, with our supply chain. Uh, what makes decarbonization such a great challenge for you guys? Thank you for having me uh, here, first of all. I think if you ask 100 uh, people in the industry, you'll get 100 different answers uh, on, on these challenges. The way I see the main challenge uh, right now is supply. How can you make sure that these fields will be available when you need it? Uh, we're talking about an industry that is operating all around the world in every country and remote port, remote location. So and you can't, uh, in most cases, you can't afford to just stay at port and wait for this field to arrive. On top of that, we're talking about some of these fields that are very difficult to move, either through pressurized fields, temperature control. So how can you conciliate this to, to regional supply chain challenges and have this delivered to your vessel. So that's one issue. And on top of that, if you think about uh, some of the options we've been considering for the industry nowadays and the appetite that the maritime industry has for these fields, we're not sure if the global production capacity, so the plants will be able to meet this demand. And of course, as we know, if you have higher demand and supply, then the prices will go up. So supply is probably the main issue. Uh, now, DMV, uh, as you know, DMV has a tradition behind safety. So I do need to mention this, uh, the challenges with, with safety, of course. If you look at all the options available in the industry nowadays, uh, of course, you have biodiesel, which is uh, fairly, I mean, it's at the same level of safety as, uh, as regular diesel. But then you then you have a series of uh, low flashpoint fuels, gases fuels, so you have risk of explosion, combustion on board. And to address this, you need uh, coffer dams and double-walled piping. So that would add cost and also limit, restrict your capacity to carry these fuels. And with that, limiting your, your operational range, of course. And then last but not least, you have batteries where uh, there's always the concern 
uh, of uh, thermal run away. So how do you manage these fires on board? So yeah, safety is the main concern and we need to know how to address those, uh, those challenges. One last thing I want to mention is uh, it feels like this is a bit overlooked nowadays, uh, not overlooked, but uh, it's not given proper attention in, in some levels in the industry. Uh, we've seen what's happening to the maritime industry post-pandemic. You have uh, limitations, uh, a lot of ship owners struggling with uh, many, with meaning their many levels. And then you're talking about fields that require a, a level of uh, specialized personnel, which is some, uh, in a way difficult to meet. So how do you prepare to this? You're, you're dealing with uh, reduced manning levels, and then you, you need very specialized people on board to handle those. So this is uh, another thing I would like to leave here. It's something that the industry will have to address eventually. Thank you. And Benel, in your perspective, can you share your thoughts with us? First of all, thanks for having me here. Uh, Elisio, Renato, it's a pleasure to discuss with you and Eduardo. I think for the past decades, there's been an increasing search for energy efficiency and uh, reduction in fuel consumption. And more recently, in the middle of the past decades, the question of climate change was uh, merged into the question for the search for efficiency. We have an increasing demand from society to address this problem of uh, the uh, CO2 emissions related to the climate change. And uh, the companies are bringing this into their uh, management and into their initiatives. Uh, at Valley, in the shipping, we have been looking for this for a very long time. Uh, we have been operating super efficient vessels for more than a decade. We had some highlights uh, in the previous decade uh, with the new building of Valimax ships, first generation around 2010 and 2011. And then about five years later, we had the second generation of these vessels. They are 15% more efficient than the first generation. Uh, and more recently, about five years ago, we launched an R&D program to address these uh, questions of uh, driving the shipping towards a, a low carbon uh, operation. So at Valley, we have been thinking very a lot about this. Valley has disclosed a lot of commitments on a global level to address the climate change. I could mention, for example, our target to reduce 33% emissions in scope one and two until 2030, and to reduce in 15% our scope three emissions until 2035, to have 100% renewable electricity for our operations in Brazil until 2025, and globally in to 2030 and a commitment to net zero uh, operations in scope one and two until 2050. So this shows uh, how we are bringing this into our culture and into our initiative, into our operations, uh, this increasing demand from society for this uh, complex uh, problem that we have. Thank you. I just want you to, to explore more this theme with you regarding the existing fleet and the fleet that you guys are operating nowadays. Uh, you talk that it, since the training in 2010, you have some problems to try to reduce the emissions. But when it comes to the maritime to vessels, we build vessels to sail for more than 30 years. Can you talk about what to do with the existing fleet? I mean, that's my, our problem as well, because we're building new tugs with more green technology, but it still have 70 tugs for the old days. Let me use you as a consultant now. What are you guys planning about it regarding this? Yes, uh, the question of uh, efficiency has always been uh, an important issue for Valley due to our geographical disadvantage in relation to our competitors. We have always searched to have 
super efficient vessels. And the Vale Max are among the most efficient vessels in the world. They are operating since 2010. When we start to discuss the second generation of these vessels, and as about 10 years ago, we were already thinking about the use of alternative fuels. Uh, and we incorporating at that time the design, the concept of uh, LNG ready, which means that the vessels, they were designed and built to receive a full system compartment and uh, storage and utilization of alternative fuel as LNG. Uh, but the vessel were not, was not built with this system, it was completely designed, was classified as this, but was not uh, built with the entire system. Uh, in our R&D program, we are looking for alternative ways of using this uh, space that's already there. So we have 77 vessels, Valemax second generation and Guaibamax, which were designed with this space compartment for alternative fuels for LNG. And our idea is that this, this compartment become a multi-fuel compartment, a compartment that could be adapted for any type of fuel in the future. So I believe that we have this advantage that long time ago, we started thinking how to incorporate alternative fuels into these vessels. We had one fuel in mind. I, I believe that this is not defined. The industry is still uh, looking for the correct uh, fuel to be used in the shipping industry. But the fact that uh, since the beginning, into the design, we were looking how to include alternative fuels into the projects. We are able now to develop these two other solutions. So this is what we are trying to do. One of the pillars of our strategy to have flexibility in the design of the vessels to be able to adapt along the next uh, 20 or 30 years, which will be the lifetime of the vessels. So there is no, no formula, but what I would advise is try to anticipate as much as possible the, the needs of the vessel of the future and to incorporate into the design stage, even though you decide not to uh, install all the features you are designing, but try to incorporate that at early stages of design. Let me jump here because I would like to add one, at least from my perspective, one interesting uh, topic about uh, sustainability, which is data. Uh, here uh, in Wilson Sons, uh, we are using uh, data to, of course, try to reach uh, more efficiency and, of course, less uh, fuel consumption. So, for instance, we found out that by reducing the speed of sailing, our fuel consumption uh, reduced uh, quite uh, heavily. So, uh, my question to for both of you, maybe starting with Eduardo now, is from your perspective, how could uh, the ship owners use data to at least address uh, partially uh, the challenge of uh, sustainability? And Bermelo, afterwards, I would like to hear from you what is Vale uh, is doing from this perspective? Because we are always uh, looking for who uh, changes new engines new types of fuel of course that this can address the challenge i believe in the mid-term uh, perspective but from the near-term perspective what you guys believe that we can do on this agenda yeah so data and uh, in dmv we call it digitalization so it's how to capture this data how to understand this data how to process it and it's very important uh, because when you're choosing a decarbonization strategy it's important that you know, you know the conditions you operate in the vessel so what are the operational margins what are the ranges uh, you know what are the loads on your engine so when you know these things are out you can start preparing and to find the optimal technology and even going back and replying to Elisio's uh, 
have a question. When you need to pick an option, it's very important that you have this data, that, when you, that you understand how these vessels are running so you can plan and making sure that you're using the right technology. Vermelho, from Vale's perspective, I mean, do you, uh, beyond everything that you have already described for us, what are you guys doing on this data agenda, if you are doing uh, anything? Yes, I see this is a very important topic, and I see the data in three different dimensions. The first one is the preparation for the projects, and this means to have proper data to decide your decisions, scientific-based decisions. So what we do uh, in our R&D program is to perform a lot of uh, tests, computer models, scale models with universities and laboratories to collect data before we go into an endeavor for a new technology. So to have this preliminary data and assess what is your ex expected performance for one technology is very important to have your targets, right? And to use this data as a criteria to decide where you're going to invest uh, your innovation resource. The second aspect of this uh, data uh, subject is the collecting data of the vessel during operation. And this is an important pillar of our strategy for every new technology that we are installing in one of these vessels. We are also installing a data analytics system with high frequency data collection and transmission so that we have real-time data of the vessel in operation with these technologies and we can evaluate the minor change that could operate into the weather, the sea conditions, uh, the vessel condition, and judge if the technology is performing or not. So it's a more, uh, I would say, more quiet innovation that's going together with the other innovations that we are installing on the vessels. But uh, without this data collection on board the vessel, it's the kind of information that we can have on our pilots are very limited. So we have invested a lot in installing uh, torus meters and uh, mass flow meters uh, on the fuel systems and to have a cloud system where this data could be uh, shared and transmitted to dashboards that could be assessed by anyone into their computers. Uh, the third dimension of this data subject is to have, um, and this is what we are doing at Valley, to have a model of your fleets, the entire fleets, where you can um, test different technologies in this model and see how you're going to find your pathway for a low carbon operation. So we have built uh, a huge model, numerical model, where we can simulate the entire fleet that's operating for Valley. And this model can be fed with uh, information about uh, technologies, their costs, their emission reductions. And the model aims to optimize at different scenarios what would be the lowest cost and emissions for this particular scenario. So it's a combination on, uh, on how you decide which technologies you want to innovate, how you're going to collect information of these technologies and how you're going to insert the information of these technologies into your system because each system is totally different from the other and, and we are talking of complex systems. So uh, we, from the very beginning of our RNG program, we knew that we need to find solutions for one ship, but on the other side, we need to look at the fleets as a whole and uh, how to have the best combination of these technologies within the fleet to achieve uh, the targets. 
Very interesting, Bermelho. When we are talking about decarbonization, in my humble perspective, there are three different pathways that I foresee. So first of all is like, how can we use data to have, to increase the operational efficiency? At the end of the day, I reduce the fuel consumption. This is one path. Second path is how can I adjust uh, my fleet, maybe by using uh, new fuels, uh, methanol, LNG. This is like some interventions that I can do in my existing fleet. And then, of course, the, the third one is building uh, new uh, ships or vessels that fully comply with this agenda. And in these three scenarios, we are talking about investments and mostly uh, huge investments. So uh, my question for both of you is, in your opinion, how do the stakeholders approach this agenda while the cost uh, to build ships and invest in new technologies uh, remain high? So from your perspective, do you believe that the customers, they want to pay for it or uh, they are still like one step ahead? So what you described here is, uh, and, and it's what we've seen in the industry, you go for first with what we call the low-hanging fruit, you go for the easier to achieve, so uh, energy efficiency, uh, optimization of operations, then you, you reduce your fuel consumption. Then the next step, you plan for conversion, see if there's any technologies or fuels uh, that would come at higher cost, uh, high interim, uh, probably requiring dry docks. So you plan for this, you do in a few years, and then later on, as you said, you build a new vessel. So that's uh, that's a common path. That's what we've been seeing lately with uh, a lot of ship owners when they have to comply to the some of the new emission goals uh, set. Now, the cost the cost is an interesting thing. You have nowadays some options that we call it uh, dropping fuel, so they come at very low conversion cost. Of course, uh, fuel costs are a bit higher, so operational costs are a bit higher, not as high as some of the options. Then you have options with very high capital costs, either for conversion or new building, and then moderate to low operational costs. And then you have options, of course, that uh, very high cost uh, in for construction at very high cost uh, for fuel. But uh, what we've seen for most, if not all of these options, is a trend toward, uh for cost as technology becomes more mature, you could see prices are tending uh, on a downward trend. So it is a good sign. But one thing to consider, and this is one of these things that changes from country to country and from region of operation, but uh, we need now to start looking at carbon prices too, as this will come some regions uh, sooner than others. But uh, we've been hearing in the industry uh, $100 per ton of carbon, $200 per ton of carbon. Uh, uh, those, those values are very high. So if you put this into, into the equation, then even some of the highest, uh, the most expensive options could even uh, turn out to be uh, better in, in terms of net present value. Interesting. And from your perspective, Rodrigo, uh, when we are talking about decarbonization agenda, high investments, how valid and you see the clients uh, uh, receiving that, uh, uh, if you can share with us? Yes, I think uh, first, uh, important to make clear, there is no opposition uh, between uh, sustainability and the business strategy nowadays. I think this is a demand from society. And at Valley, we are working to bring into more and more into our culture and our projects and our initiatives. So I don't see how to move ahead uh, in the future without taking to, uh, sustainability into consideration. Of course, there are some costs ahead. We are looking to these costs, but on the other hand, there are also many opportunities. And I think we should look at these opportunities as well in terms of shipping. When we look at shipping, uh, when we set up our eco shipping program, we always had it clear 
that we are looking for solutions to reduce emissions. But among these solutions, there could exist many opportunities to reduce the freight as well. So we have this approach whenever we go for a new technology that we are trying to solve a problem, but we are also trying to uh, minimize costs. And this is possible, maybe not at a very short term, because some of these technologies, they need to mature, they need to be developed. But I'm confident that uh, in the long term, many of these technologies can generate a lot of savings uh, for the company. So it's a, it's a long-term investment that we should look here and try to avoid this opposition between uh, business and sustainability. Thank you, Bermel. Eduardo, you didn't ask me, but I will waste as well. Uh, I'm a commercial and I see the market on a day-by-day basis and I see no one is willing to pay more. But I think that is going to be something mandatory in the future. Or you have like a green product, a green agenda, or you are out of the game. It's just a question of when it will happen. But I think it's it's come the ESG agenda comes to stay because no one will pay more just to have for you do to do this the right thing. So it's costly, definitely. But I think it's going to be like a game changer. And for some companies that don't follow this way, probably they will not be in the market around 10 years, let's say. And that comes the question because everybody here has to approve or internal approve of the companies to the capex, to investments. So I want to hear from you guys. How do you internally inside Valley? I think that the GNV had different approach. But how you can sell this agenda internally? Because how the, the mindset of the leadership of the company, the employees are impacted with this. Uh, but if you just, uh, I mean, I, I know it's a tough job to approve some capex, uh, even if you don't have the cotton, you, you cannot sell, uh, sell for a more costly product like that. I mean. So how it works in Valley? At Valley, uh, as I said, we have these uh, ambitious uh, commitments, public commitments about reducing our emissions uh, in scope one, two, and three. And of course, these commitments, they come together supported by investment. So we have already disclosed that we plan to invest up to $6 billion to reduce our scope one and two emissions, which is a huge amount and it's uh, needed to this challenge. Now, when we talk about shipping, I think there are the steps of uh, research and then there are the steps of investments. We did uh, a few pilots that we are operating now and testing and uh, quite expensive pilots, I would say, rotor sales and air lubrication. We invested some um, resource on that. Uh, I could mention, for example, the rotor sales about $8 million uh, and the air lubrication about uh, $5 million per ship. And this is a research uh, investment that Vali is doing. But I believe that the perspective of these technologies are positive. Uh, and uh, as we collect data and we prove there's a reliable solutions, we can scale this to more vessels and the business case will be more interesting when we have a more mature solution. So I think it's a process. How do you approve that? Uh, you First, we have the research, uh, validate these technologies. Vali is investing a lot on research for these technologies. And as we find the right solutions tailored to our business, this will, be, will prove to be good investments and we'll go to that way. Thank you. I'm on the same page. So I think that it's, even though you cannot do the, the math exactly how it's going to work right now, but I mean, it's a matter to stay in the market or not. I think, uh, if I may, I, I think Valley, it's, uh, 
They're different in a good way. I mean, if you guys uh, for a long time have been investing in this technology, you've been preparing for it. Uh, what we see uh, in the industry is that, uh, I mean, they... They had a plan for reducing emissions, but they didn't expect that some of these goals to come that, that close. So there is a bit of a rush for new technologies, rush for finding solutions. And uh, so in those cases, then you, you end up with a, a more expensive, uh, higher cost, a higher bill to pay. So it's good, it's refreshing when you talk to someone who, who's been preparing this over a long period. I think it's a very good job from Valium on that. Good. If you could share, Bermelho and Eduardo, what is your vision for the maritime uh, industry in the next 10, 20, uh, 30 years? And what should be the sector importance in favor of the environment in this coming decades? I mean, do you have any thoughts about that? Yes, we have discussed internally what would be a roadmap for a low carbon shipping for Valley. Uh, and we believe that in the very short term, there are still a lot of opportunities to be captured on the energy efficient sites. Uh, and this is what we have been doing actually in the recent years to try to capture these opportunities with rotor sales, lubrication, hydrodynamic device, electrical device, weight heat recovery. So I see that in the short term, there are, that we will see a lot of new technologies and the deployment scaling up of these technologies into the fleets. And we, I see opportunity for huge gains into the energy efficiency. Uh, in the mid-term, I think the challenge are the alternative fuels. And at Valley, we are getting prepared to that. We're developing a lot of different projects in relation to alternative fuels, but this is definitely a challenge for the industry to find what would be not one few alternative fuels that could supply the industry with uh, you know, low-carbon energy. And I'm talking here not only the challenge outside shipping is to be produced and distributed the infrastructure, the production and infrastructure to supply this to the ships, but also the storage capacity within the ships and the equipment within the ships to properly use this, this, this fuel. So in the midterm, I see that we need to address, and I expect that we see this in the industry. I see a lot, already a few Uh, initiatives coming up with different fields, trying to test that. We are involved in a few of them as well. And so my expectation is that until 2030, we see a lot of uh, energy efficiency device, perhaps a lot of vessel sailing with sails and other device, and uh, some alternative fuels uh, being deployed. And this will be ramped up from 2030 to 2040 on a large scale. Uh, and then, of course, in 30 years' time, we have big challenges. We should decarbonize a lot of our operations and address current IMO ambitions are to reduce emissions by 50%. We still need to do a lot, but absolutely necessary to be done until 2050. I agree. I mean, there's a lot of technologies. I, I must say we, we live in exciting times. It's, uh, we see a lot of new things, new equipment, new, new developments. Uh, uh, it feels like every week there's something different that we hear about. So, I mean, just an example, we've, uh, in the last year we talked about, we met uh, uh, vendors for carbon storage systems on board. You have hydrogen carriers, you have uh, energy storage uh, technology. So all these things that uh, you have 
a lot of investment pouring into these companies to develop these technologies. So, of course, when you look at it, you say, well, I hope this is in, in a ship as soon as possible, but we know there are so many challenges. So 10, 20, 30 years, it, it's very hard to say what's what's going to happen. But uh, the truth, the, I think it's pretty clear by now that the, the ships, uh, the industry, as we know, will change a lot. Uh, the vessels, the configuration, the arrangement of vessels will change a lot. And probably the main question now is what do you do with the current fleet. The fleet is in operation, like you said, those vessels that have been in operation for 20, 30 years. How do you, how do you adapt them? So I think that's probably the biggest uncertainty is what will happen to those vessels. Thank you, Eduardo. Eduardo, uh, I have another one for you. Because different for me, Brimeiro and, and the other Eduardo, you work with several companies around the world. So you have like, put it this way, a broader view of this approach. I mean, from different cultures, different sectors, so part of the DNA vision is to have a global impact for sustainability, future through collaboration. What is the DNV relationship with the customers, supplies, and other companies and industries like? I'm going to rephrase it here. Uh, how the DNV is working together with your suppliers, with your clients uh, around the globe to, address, uh, to expand the DNV vision to, to work in sustainability through collaboration? The main thing uh, for us is uh, what is our purpose, right? Uh, is is to be uh, someone that the clients, uh, the customers can trust that uh, will be honest and transparent at all times. So we know the challenges. We understand uh, there are so many factors behind uh, any decarbonization strategy. You have technology maturity, you have regulatory scenarios, you have uh, even global social political factors that are driving fuel prices up. So there's so many factors and we understand how difficult it is. And, and that's not one country everywhere. Every client you speak to, they are, you can see, a certain level, a certain degree of uncertainty and a lot of questions on how to do what's the best strategy. So we like to be the one that is independent. We we have this huge network of experts and we can collect on this on this expertise, on this knowledge from everywhere and pack it all and give to the client and say, this is how I believe things are going to be. We, um, and of course, it's important to understand what are the specific regional challenges and how this would factor into the decarbonization strategy. So to sum it up, it's just uh, we are the independent person that you can trust we have the knowledge and uh, we hope we can help. And that's what we try every day. Very good. You know, I was two weeks ago, I was in, in a conference, in a towage conference. And of course, that the main topic, it was the decarbonization future. And we at the conference uh, was present, I mean, worldwide tugboat operators. And in my opinion, I mean, the beauty of this topic is how everybody has a different answer for the same challenge. So it's very interesting to meet people who believes that the full electric uh, vessel, it's not worth people who believe that methanol and alternative fuels are the future, how operators are using data to address this challenge. So it was quite interesting to see how today we are talking about, I mean, at the end of the day, I, at least from my point of view, nobody has a certainty of anything. So it's it's a still a huge challenge for all of us. This uh, leads me to, the, to my final question to you, Rodrigo, about the importance of research and development. So we're talking about uncertainties, challenges, and of course that investing in research is quite important. And in Vale, I know that you have like a policy to invest uh, around 1% of your revenue on this area. So concerning uh, researching and, and development, do how much you guys are looking specifically to sustainability? I mean, do you have this figure? I mean, when we look 
for researching and uh, development area? Uh, do you have a budget specifically for sustainability? Because for sure you are researching uh, other topics and other challenges that you have. As I mentioned, I think the most important number is the $6 billion that Valley Disclose will be investing to reduce emissions in all of its operation. And of course, it, this translates into uh, a lot of resource to be used in shipping and other activities that need to decarbonize. But I'll also like to mention the importance of uh, the research is to create a collaborative environment. I don't believe that this problem, this challenge that we have, this urgency that we have for climate change can be solved by one company alone, by one country alone. I think we need to join efforts to solve this together. And uh, in our research initiatives, we try to foster this environment of collaboration. And we have a lot of partnerships with universities in Brazil and abroad, laboratories, classification societies, ship owners, equipment makers. We aim to lead the mining industry and the shipping industry towards a low-carbon operation, but not aim to do this alone. Uh, I mean, we aim to lead by uh, showing uh, some examples of what's possible by gathering people together to solve problems. Uh, and I don't believe there is also one correct answer as well. I think shipping is very different. You have mentioned about the different solutions that you hear from different stakeholders, and it's because shipping is very different. So batteries could work very well for small boats, uh, tugboats, push boats, they certainly do not work for very large orchestras where the weight of the batteries would be heavier than the weight of the ship. So, but this doesn't mean that batteries should be excluded, but we need to talk to each other and understand where are the good solutions to each specific part of the shipping industry. So I think the importance of the research, of course, we need uh, the investments. There is no research without the investments. And I think Valley, with these figures it published, has given a strong commitment towards investing in low-carbon solutions. But also it's very important, the collaborative environment that it fosters, the connection that it generates, and how this could be exponentially transmitted to other partners in the, in the shipping industry. If I may just add uh, one comment, uh, this is very true. Uh, one solution for one ship uh, is not necessarily the best option for another ship. And even if you're talking about two different ships, same size, just because of uh, if, you, if you consider where they are operating, then this would also affect your strategy. So one tug might be perfect for perfect candidate for fully electric uh, battery systems, while the other would uh, probably operate better with uh, uh, or the alternative fuels, just because of the difference in which port they are calling to. So definitely one solution does not fit uh, all. Guys, uh, we are running out of time here, so I believe that uh, we are coming to an end. I would like to uh, uh, thank you a lot, Rodrigo, and Eduardo for joining us in this roundtable. I mean, uh, we are doing this uh, podcast in order, of course, to stimulate people from our industry to share not only their background and, and experience, but also to look ahead and talk a little bit uh, with the challenges that we have in our in the industry nowadays. So, Rodrigo, if you have any final words and afterwards, Eduardo. 
Well, thanks for the opportunity to be here and uh, show some of the initiatives that we are doing at Vale and engaging this important discussion with you. Um, at Vale, we have our purpose that is to improve life and transform the future together. And I believe that this engagement with society, this discussion with multiple uh, partners, stakeholders, it's very important. So it's uh, I'm very glad to have this opportunity to be here and discuss with you about this important agenda. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. And I appreciate taking the time to discuss these uh, challenges with you. It's uh, it's very interesting to see the initiatives that Vani uh, has uh, been working on to reduce emissions on their fleet. And it's uh, I think Wilson has been doing an amazing job with uh, with this podcast and other uh, decarbonization goals, as we've seen. So I appreciate this and I'm looking forward to seeing more of it, uh, of your great work in the future. Rodrigo, just remember us, of your when it comes to scope free. You know, we're one of your suppliers in Brazil. And we'll be more than glad to sit on the table with you and discuss other alternatives. You, you gave me your pathway now. Uh, I have a lot, a lot of homework to do now. But just remember, we are here. Sure, let's discuss. I think there is huge opportunities for the port activities to decarbonize as well. Uh, I see the challenge for the tugboats, uh, totally different than for the very large oil carriers, but definitely very important and very exciting as well. So let's work together. Okay. I just wanted to leave one comment here. I had the chance to work with Wilson Sons for a few months uh, this year on a very interesting project. And uh, I've been in the industry for 14 years. Uh, it's not very often that you see such a dedicated and passionate team. I mean, we had some very interesting discussion. Everyone was, uh, they truly believed in what they were doing there, what were their, their goals. And uh, I think we never had a meeting that actually ended in time. They all went over it just because everyone was uh, very proud of what we were trying to achieve. So congratulations. Thank you. So thank you, Rodrigo. Thank you, Eduardo. Thank you, Elisio. Connect comes to an end. Thanks for your company. And to contact us, please visit wilsonsons.com.br. I'm Eduardo Valença, and I will be waiting for you in the next episode to talk about a new theme of the maritime infrastructure in Brazil and the world. See you then. Thank you.